Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right in a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Welcome, everybody, to the Must Read Alaska show. I'm your host, John Quick, coming to you live from somewhere in stormy Alaska. Man, it's quite the windstorm here out on the Kenai Peninsula Borough. We probably had, I don't know, 40-mile-an-hour winds last night. Power was flickering all day long. And for lots of folks around Alaska, it's probably homecoming weekend. I know it is for my kids. And I hope that the weather at least doesn't kill the homecoming games and all those kinds of festivities this weekend. But uh, we have a special guest today, Assemblymember Tyson Cox from the Kenai Peninsula Borough. Assemblymember Cox, welcome to the Must Read Alaska show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, I'm excited you're on. I live in the Kenai Peninsula Borough. You're not my official representative, but you do obviously represent all of the Kenai Peninsula Borough. So it's exciting to have somebody from the Assembly on the show. Tell the listeners a little bit about what got you, you know, take us way back. What got you to run for office in the first place? You were on the Soldatna City Council before you were on the Assembly, but what was it that spurred you to want to run in the first place? Well, even to run for any office is, um, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic. Everybody knows that. I've, I've been very open about my, my religious beliefs. And as a Catholic, we have a lot of um, belief in service. And so I've served at my church and things like that, first church boards, uh, maintenance, volunteer. I've also done, um, uh, we've taught some, my wife and I have taught some of the um, uh, faith formation classes together. And then I started getting into local politics in Sadatna with the city council. And I, I really enjoyed being a part of that. And I kind of found that to be a, a niche that I was worked in well. And so then when I was also on board of equalization, while I was on city council and then um, Dale Bagley was terming out and a few people talked to me about looking into the assembly. Um, I didn't say yes right away. I actually went to several of the meetings first to see if it's something that I would be able to handle or, or want to be able to do. And then I realized that it is. And I had a lot of experience already with like uh, rules of conduct, rules of order for, for meetings, which I think is a big deal. Um, I think you can get confused pretty easily when we get into the amendment of the amendment of the amendment. <laughs> and, and so it does help with some of that. And so that's kind of why I got into it. I am, I'm not a person who thinks that, uh, I need to fix everything. I don't, I actually believe our, our borough runs very well. I think the codes we have are good. I do think they can be improved or updated because, you know, a lot of them are older, um, I've been working on a few, uh, we have some other questions on here, but I have been working on a few updates, which I think are important. So anyways, that's, that's why I got involved is mostly just to help our community. And it's a way to serve because I mean, people don't get into this for the money. It's definitely oh. not a, a money job. It is to serve our community and to try and just make things better for our, the entirety of our community. So and it's a, it's a lot of work is my guess, you, you know, um, probably yes. lots of, uh, you know, during the, the assembly day, lots of long hours. And, and, you know, for folks listening, this is not something I think the assembly members get like a $500 stipend or something. I mean, 
if you I, I believe it's 250 dollars a meeting so depending on how many meetings we have in a month yeah it's like if you you know calculated that out per hour you're getting paid probably 50 cents an hour so it's definitely not something you do for the money it's something you do because you want to do it yes. um so for folks listening you know i think oftentimes we live in like the political bubble where we just kind of know how things op operate in the most part but there's lots of folks out there that um they don't know even you know i was one of those people not too long ago that didn't even know what the responsibilities of an assembly person is so in the kenai peninsula borough for folks listening what is some of the primary responsibilities of a assembly member well and first i'll start with the official like what the official responsibility is and that comes from our Alaska statute title 29 it says the legislative powers of the borough is vested in the assembly well what does that mean right is what it to me what that means is we are the legislative branch we're the ones that um, make the rules and then the mayor which is the executive branch enacts the rules they're the ones that that go through and make sure things happen we're the ones that make sure that the rules are being followed those kinds of things what I really believe an assembly member's job is when you all of that's said and done is to ask questions. That is the, the key function of an assembly member is to ask questions, not only of the public, like what the public would like, but also of the administration and the mayor of, of what they're doing, how they're accomplishing what we've, we've wanted to enact. Um, also like the heads of departments to ask them questions during our committee meetings, which are all day Tuesdays. Um, we go in and we ask them questions. And then that's where we can make these better informed decisions for the constituents of our area and then for the borough as a whole. So my, I, I know that sounds pretty simplistic, but it, it is just to ask questions. I think we need to do it lots. And my guess is for the most part, um, you have staff that are willing to answer those questions. We do. And I've been under two mayors now and both of those mayors were very willing and, um, very okay with us going and talking to the staff as we wanted so I, I am very thankful for that is that we've had a very open dialogue with all the staff that the mayor has yeah because some of these even though we do live in us you know compared to something in lower 48 a relatively small size population borough with not too many regulations as it comes you know as it relates to you know building houses and those kinds of things we still have complicated issues like a 600 page comprehensive plan that yeah. you can't yeah. just kind of like, oh, overlook, you have to kind of deal with those kinds of things, my guess is on the assembly um, as issues come up. Yes, yes. And like, well, one of the things we've been working on now was the uh, material sites ordinance rewrite is what they're calling it as a rewrite of that whole part of code. And that's a 26 or 27 page document. It, we've been working on it for about a year and a half, um, extending our, usually we would go in for committees at like, I don't know, between one and three. We've been frequently going in before noon to help try and get these accomplished because we're having that as a meeting every, every day, every Tuesday we have a meeting. We've been having a meeting of the whole to work on the material sites ordinance. And wow. so, I, I actually think we have a pretty good product. We have a planning director put in place now that was pretty much perfect for this, Robert Ruffner, because he has a lot of experience with ground and water and all those kinds of things that are involved with material sites. Nice. So what are some of the, um, you've been on for a couple of years now, what are some of the ordinances that maybe you've co-sponsored or sponsors that you're proud of? 
Well, I'm glad you asked that question because I had to go back and look and see what all my name was on and go, okay, what did I? You <laughs> what know, did I do? Crap. Not always. <laughs> well, and and sometimes I didn't write it, but then I decided I I wanted to co-sponsor it. One of those items was, um, and I just saw in the paper that it it also passed the the state school board. Is with uh, Richard Dirkvorkian, Assemblymember Dirkvorkian. I he had sponsored a resolution to go to the state and to our legislators that said something to the effect of that in schools, only biological girls, born biological girls should be on girls sports teams. And I very strongly supported that. So I actually called him up, even though he was the one who was the writer of that. I called him up then because I strongly, I wanted to co-sponsor that. So sometimes that's why I had to go back and look because sometimes I have to go, okay, did I, the ones I wrote, I know better. But the ones that I decided, you know what, I feel strongly about this. I want to co-sponsor. Um, some of the other ones that I'm proud of is we have had a lot of um, ordinances come forward, ordinances and resolutions come forward about elections. And I'm glad of all those because the ones that I'm, I'm happy with are um, ones that have to do with uh, improving voter turnout, election transparency, and then the election process. Um, which is testing and such and those kinds of things with the um, tabulators and all of that. And so I'm, I'm pretty proud that we've gone through that because we have made it a more transparent process, which I think that's what people were asking for in the, on the peninsula. And so that's what we gave them. And to be very truthful, the clerks have been doing it this way all the time, but now we have a way to show people that they can come in and see what's actually happening, which is nice. Like uh, people that can, come and be like voter watchmen or watch ladies during the process. Mm -hmm. Is that what it is? Yep. Yep. And then during the special election, we also, with the help of Mayor Machicki, we also found that there were still a few um, areas that we could be more transparent. And so we put that in as well. And so I, I actually co-sponsored that one as well. And that was one of those that the mayor and I, I can't, I'd have to look back the mayor and somebody else co it might've been Mr. Um, President Johnson. But anyways, they co-sponsored it, and I liked what had said, and I wanted to put my name on it, so I did co-sponsor that as well, even though I was not. So um, I think for your day job, you're, you're a businessman. Does that play a role in any of your decision-making? I know, like, you know, there's um, – I think that there is a fair amount of people that are in the assembly or elected officials where that's what they've done their entire lives, right? They've been – and I can think of some that, you know, they've – uh, maybe they've been uh, on a board and commission and then they go to a city council and then they go to assembly and then they go to house and then they go to Senate. Um, but you've been a business guy for most of your life. How, how does that play a role for the, your decision-making process on the assembly? It plays a pretty big role. And I will say for now, I have, people have asked me, I have no intention of going any further. I like how we can affect um, change at our, our local level. Um, I talked to Justin and Justin Ruffridge and, and Jesse Dorkman quite a bit, and I don't know if I want their job. Their jobs, there's a lot going on, and I think sometimes it can be very frustrating. So anyways, with that, I'll, I will say, yes, I do have a local business here in town. Um, it plays a big part because being in, in uh, I'm in rental real estate, and being in that kind of business, what I look at a lot is, is your risk reward. And I actually bring that to assembly quite a bit is what kind of risk are we taking on for what kind of reward we're going to receive? So I think it's a big deal to do that because we, we've recently done, we uh, just loaned 7 million. Oh, yeah. The hospital dollars. thing, right? 
through the hospital. And that was the question I asked, what's the risk and reward? After it was explained to me that the risk was actually less than some of our investments and that we actually were getting a higher rate than some of our other investments, which is where this money would be sitting, then it made more sense to me. But I did have those questions, but that's coming from that side of me saying, okay, great, we're, we're giving them money that they do need. I get that. But what is the risk reward for the borough? Because that's what we need to pay attention to. And that's who I need to look out for. And so it, it's those kind of inst instances that we bring forward. Um, but it's not just me. Some of the other people have some great, I, well, your representative right now, um, uh, represent, or uh, assembly member Ribbons. I love that he has a lot of experience with water and what happens with water because for our uh, material sites, he's been doing a very good job of giving us extra insight on how that may affect the water table and those kinds of things when those when those kind of topics come up. So, so I'm, I'm sure that, that I'm sure that you know when things come up, you're going to get uh, folks that are not going to be too thrilled about what's happening, right? You probably saw that a lot during COVID. Um, and, you know, just any assembly meeting, you're going to have folks that don't like what you're doing. What's the best way for folks to get their point across to you all and still have a voice in the room and not be an afterthought? Well, and that actually was a big um, learning curve for me, not just on assembly, but even when I started on city council is when I started doing this, especially on city council, because I hadn't had any experience yet, I thought, this is going to be easy. All we do is listen to people and do what they want us to do. How hard is that? I will tell you, most people don't come in with much of a voice until a decision's already been made. And so it does take time for people to come in and do that, or people come in when they're very upset about something. And I kind of analyzed, why does that happen that way? And I think it's because most people have a lot of fear of speaking in public. So it takes something very that they feel very strongly about before they'll come in and speak. And so I just it's a reminder to myself and to the other assembly members that whether we agree with the person or not, we need to listen to them. Not only is it in our codes that people get a chance to speak, but I'm talking actually just listen to them because people don't come in unless something really means something to them because they do not like to come in and speak in public. So we need to, to respect that and respect the people that come in because of their ideas, you know, sometimes I don't agree, but it still doesn't mean we don't listen. And usually there's something within what they're talking about that I do agree with. And so um, if we can go back, what was your original question? <laughs> How does somebody get, let's say if they wholeheartedly think that you're making the world's dumbest decision, what's the best way for them to communicate that to you uh, without, without um, being thought of as a, you know, wacko? I do is they have my cell phone number. So most people can call me by cell phone. Um, if I don't answer right then, I will get back to people. Secondly is by email. We will get back to people by email and not just me. I know that other representatives all feel the same way. Um, so email or phone call first. The other way is to testify. You can always come in and testify. And then the other way is in, in my opinion, is vote for someone else at your next election to run for that seat. If you really don't feel someone is representing you, that's the process we have. And then there's also the process of uh, um, people can bring things forward for the ballot themselves. You can have, you know, public initiatives go on the ballots. 
There's a lot of ways for people to participate if they want to. The biggest way I would love to see people participate is to either get to either run for assembly or some of the boards. Mm-hmm. We are having, I've talked to our clerks who've been within our borough. Our current clerk's been there 20 some years. And I talked to Miss Blankenship a lot about it too, is we're at a time when we have people not volunteering very much. And so that would be the other way is just, if you think something's wrong, start participating, come in and, and, and be a part of it. Yeah. I saw uh, recently, I saw a post from the borough. It might've been a week or so ago, maybe even longer, but you had a number of vacancies for different, you know, boards and commissions. If somebody's interested, you know, what, what are some steps they could do? My guess is just contact the clerk clerk's office to see what's open. Well, and the, the start of that always is August one. That's like the big day. August 1st is the big day. And so anything that's going to be open that year will be open on that day. Um, and I will say a lot of the service area boards only have one person. Yeah. And it looked like a lot of those were not until the last day, which means somebody probably went to people and said, hey, we need somebody in the seat. And so the other thing that will happen is, is if people leave or if some of these aren't filled through the election process, then they become appointed through the mayor. And those are usually, in fact, they have to be noticed. And so those are noticed. So if somebody wants to participate, you know, the first thing I would do is talk to the clerk and say, hey, I'm very interested. I live in this area. They may be able to let you know when those things come open, which would be nice, too. Yeah, because there's, I mean, out here in Nikiski, we don't often have that problem. We fill most of our service boards. But in other places, it's been tough for the borough to fill spots. And so... Um, after the election, which is October something-ish, people can probably go to the clerk's office, see if it was filled or not. And if it wasn't, they can chat with the mayor about potentially putting their name in the hat for an appointment kind of position. Well, and truthfully, we'll, we would know right now which ones of those are coming up. Yeah. So I can actually look at it. Is I think every one of them looks like right now has for Seward Bear Creek Flood Service Area seat D a three-year term that's the only one out of all the ones listed that doesn't have someone so what will happen is is after election in fact it may already go to appointment now I'm not sure but it will be because it will not be on the ballot at this point I don't believe the only maybe it's still on the ballot for a write-in I would have to ask that but otherwise if that does not get filled that will become an appointed position I always thought that would be hilarious if the there was nobody on the ballot for the slot and you know it's basically a it's a it's a write-in ballot competition at that point who can get the most write-ins well it is but do note and this is for anyone who wants to do a write-in please call the clerk because there is a process for doing a write-in it's not just everybody open and and do it there's an official write-in process for somebody who wants to be a write-in candidate so 2024 is coming up quickly what are some big projects that the borough's undertaking? I know that there's there's a, a K Beach flood area project plan kind of in the works. Is there anything else big that's on the horizon? Well, I started thinking about that, and we have our um, our regular stuff coming up because budget is a big part of that, and budget will be starting to be worked on. I had heard the other day that the mayor's already starting to ask his department heads for not a clear budget or anything, but just an idea of where their budgeting's going, which it's, it's fairly early yet. But to start asking for that stuff because it comes quick. And, you know, the Mayor Machiki's been pretty good at uh, 
at using our money wisely and setting up those departments for success, but not overspending. And I, I like that. I think that's a good idea. Um, again, he was able to, to take the mill rate down again, another 0.2 mills this last year. Um, depending on how inflation goes, I will have to see if that can happen again or if we will stay flush. But, you know, the hope would be not to make that rise again. Um, so I, I looked at, yes, we have that flooding is going to be a big part of this next year. Uh, is that, is, are you guys doing a study? Is that what it is? Or is there actual work that's going to happen? Do you know? Yes and yes. Okay. Is We put 175000 towards a study last meeting. And what that study is going to do is there's short-term, I was told possibly by today, they'll have some information of what we might be able to do short-term to help alleviate what we can for this fall. Then the rest of the information is going to go over the winter. And so then we'll have hopefully some information next spring on some more long-term um, solutions to the issue. So looking for short-term, what we can do today to help alleviate, and then long-term, you know, over the course of a nine months or so is to get some information and see where that goes. Um, for folks listening, that's like a historical flooding area that just kind of, you know, up, you know, one day there's a swamp kind of thing. It well, just kind it, of happens. It is. And you can think of it kind of as a sponge on these years that we have a lot of uh, precipitation, a lot of water. Some of this water didn't even go away from last year. So it started last fall and then you end up freezing and a lot of that water stays. And then in the spring, you have excess water from the year before. And then you're getting all this new rain, which we all know we've gotten all summer long. And so your sponge just starts getting full. When your sponge gets full, it starts to become um, runoff on top. So it's no longer groundwater. Now it's just water on top of the, of the land, which then is, is what we're dealing with now is what do we do with all this water that's showing up? And so a lot of what's been happening is a lot of ditching that's been happening by the borough and then figuring out where some of that can go. And so, you know, a, another good reason I'm a big fan of Robert Ruffner. I'm glad he's here because he's a good one to be in charge of that project. So, um, any other big projects in the mix for 2024? I don't know of any particular like big projects. Um, I don't know that we have a lot. I will be surprised if we have any major projects for the assembly coming off of this material sites. I kind of, that has been a huge undertaking, uh, for myself personally, what I like to do is talk to uh, the departments, I believe there's some, I think there's going to be some assessing rewriting coming up, which would be good is to rewrite some of that code. So it's a little more clear. And I, I try and talk to all the departments and let them know if there is something that would make your job easier, more efficient, um, and still makes sense for the public and for our, for our borough, I'll come to me. I'll co-sponsor that. I'll sponsor that for you and get, and try and get that to go through. Because if we can be more efficient in our departments, it's better for everybody. Usually what it's doing also is making more clear of what's being expected from that part of the code, which is good for um, the public because it's much easier to read and mm -hmm. to then uh, define what you're actually being asking the borough to do. And so that's helpful. Um, one I've been working on just recently actually had to do with, again, we were talking about the um, loaning the service area in
because you have to follow all these rules unless you write an ordinance about it, then you don't have to follow them. <laughs> well, to me, that didn't make a whole lot of sense. So I started looking at it and not one of those loans that we've done followed every single one of those um, items that it said it needed. So what I'm doing, and it'll be up for, um, I think just introduction this meeting on uh, next Tuesday, is we'll be introducing it and what it, it'll be is more of a guideline. And again, this comes from my experience too of, of working with loans and those kinds of things is I would rather see us have a guideline. So what it's gonna have is a guideline of what the ordinance that comes to us should have in it. So it's gonna have, you know, like how much money it is, the terms, um, what they're using for, you know, why they're using the uh, interest rate that they're using, which I think is important. So basically they'll have to tie it to an index of some kind, you know, a, a, a reliable index yep. that we all know about. And then they'll have to justify to us why that index was used. And to me, those are all important things. The other thing the mayor, because I did put it past the mayor and past the departments, is the mayor thought putting in um, a statement about whatever that interest rate is should not be less than what we would make in our own um, investments, which I think was wise as well. And so it's those kind of things that it now it'll be more of a guide rather than the stringent thing that really nobody's using anyways because it was too too locked in. Nice. Well, I have an idea for the borough. You can you can take it or leave it. Um, the uh, the state of Alaska, you can approach the state of Alaska as just normal, you know, person from that lives in Alaska. And you can go to the state of Alaska and say, I want to buy this piece of land. And you can do over the counter land sales in Alaska. Um, and you have to pay a 30% premium. So if I wanted to buy a piece of land for, you know, a hundred thousand dollar piece of land, I'm going to have to pay 30% above the, you know, the average price. And then I can buy it. And then it also goes through a public process where somebody could um, essentially outbid you if they wanted to, but they would have to outbid you above and beyond the 30% markup price. But it allows somebody to buy public lands whenever they want. And I think that, uh, you know, the borough would do well with something like that, because right now you can't do that in the borough. You can't approach the borough and buy um make an offer on a land you have to wait for it to come up on the land sale which could be years i actually think that's a good idea i'm i'm all about uh us selling off some of our land i wouldn't say all of it because yeah. there, there's a lot of recreational land that i think we should just hold and maintain for our borough but when it's um land near the the populated areas that could be used for housing or for businesses and things i i say get that into the public's hands and let them do that is, yeah, and the state, the state, you know, has a good formula to keep the, you know, the looky lose or just the people, you know, wasting people's time by they make you put a down payment and the 30% kind of weeds out the 30% above asking price kind of weeds out people that are just, you know, going to waste everybody's time. Yeah. And I know that there's land in the borough that people would be buying up if they didn't have to wait around. And it's not. I'm not saying anything bad on the staff because I know it takes time to, you know, get these packages together. But man, I think it'd be uh, a huge positive for the borough if if they just copied what the state does and did over the counter land sales. I I think it's definitely something to ask about. That's I will be asking that question because it sounds like a good idea to at least look into it. And why aren't we doing that now? Yeah. Or why have we not? Because somebody's had to brought. Most of the questions I have have been brought up before. I don't usually 
mean, they're not usually all new questions. because <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, right? <laughs> right. And so people have had this issue at a time. So why didn't we do it is where I would end up going with that is what, what were the reasons we didn't choose to do that before? Sometimes it's just an assembly didn't want to because they didn't vote that way. Yeah. Sometimes there's actually code written at our level or at the state level that doesn't allow that. Yeah. And so, you know, there are questions that just have to be asked. I know there's a mechanism to sell to individuals because we had one come up recently and I don't remember in, I think it might've been out towards the Kiski, but I can't remember where the area was per se, but what, what was happening is these were considered um, size wise subpar for outside of cities, because really to build anything, you need to be real close to an acre. And some of these were, way back when separated at like half an acre or something like that. Yeah. So what they've done is just offered those two neighboring. If you had neighboring property, they offered it to those folks because then they could add it into their property. And it's the only real usable way to utilize that property. Yeah. I remember one of those when I was at the borough, we, it was, you know, like 0.15 of an acre. Right. And it was basically somebody was going to extend their backyard. <laughs> yep. Well, and what happens is, is as people are changing some of these sizes is, you know, through the years, what happens is you get these little slivers that aren't really the size they need to be to really build anything new on. Yeah. And so if somebody wants to put up a garage or something like that, it might work perfect if they add it to their existing property. So I know we do some of that, but why I mention that is, is sometimes that's how I've worked it. As I said, well, we can do that. How can we utilize a similar code to then accomplish this other thing that, like you're saying, uh, just a, a counter sale, which would be probably paperwork wise, very similar to that kind of sale, because you are only offering it to either one or very few amount of people. Yeah. And uh, well, I appreciate you being willing to poke around at that. Um, 30 minutes has went by in a flash. Uh, any last minute things before we head off here? The floor is yours. Well, I just wanted to remind folks that we have our meeting. Um, I don't know when this will air, but we have our meetings on Tuesdays. Our next one from when we're doing this right now is next Tuesday. I'm, I'm not sure what day of the, the month that is, but it is this next Tuesday and they start at 6 p.m. Um, as always, you can Zoom if you'd like or you can come in person. Both you can do testimony from. So you can testify from each either live or from the Zoom platform. Um, and as a reminder, our second meeting in September, we will be in Homer. Nice. And so, well, it is, uh, that would be the next one would be October 3rd. Is that the one? That's no, the no. This month though, September. Oh, September. Yeah. Good thing. I know what month it is. It's September 5th. September 5th. And then the next one after that is two weeks later, which is, is it the 19th? Something <laughs> yeah, like that. It shows me, I don't even know what month we're in. So, <laughs> and so. So we will be in Homer on that one. And I'm just letting people know because that will be the final hearing. So there's going to be a hearing on Tuesday and a hearing the next Tuesday for the final hearing on our material sites ordinance, which I think there are some people that will want to come out and speak to that. Awesome. Well, Assemblymember Tyson Cox, I want to thank you for coming on the Must Read Alaska show. And for folks that listen, watch or read Must Read Alaska and you like what you hear, Go to mustreadalaska.com on the right-hand side. There's a little donate button every $5, $10, $100. Helps keep the lights on here at Must Read Alaska. And until next time, I'm John Quick from somewhere in Alaska. Thank you, Assemblymember, for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me.